Welcome to Holy Savior Sermons, bringing you the weekend sermons given at Holy Savior Church. This morning, we're going to continue our series began last week called 2020. Talk about 2020 vision and what it means for us to have vision. Now, as we do that, again, we're not exploring like a congregational vision. We're talking about personal vision. So we're having a little fun, you know, because it's the year 2020 and talking about vision and about God's vision for our lives, God's vision for your life. As we did that, we had, you know, a question that we were kicking around last week. The question was this, who do you see when you see yourself? If you were here, you remember we had those little kind of cheap, you know, little mirror pieces there. You can look at and see yourself. And we asked that question and said, you know, here are two things you see when you see yourself. One, you see someone who God says is important. And how important are you to God? You're so important. You are so valuable to God that God would step into this world in His Son, Jesus Christ, that He would live the perfect life that you and I can never live, and that he would suffer and die on the cross for the life that we did live and the rise again from the grave. So you and I, we are valued by the God of the universe. So when we see ourselves, we see ourselves as one who is valued, one who is important. And then secondly, you know, we see ourselves as one who has a purpose. Sometimes we may not feel like we're very important, that we have no purpose, but God says each and every one of us has a purpose. And we use as our theme verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. We especially focus on those words where Paul, again, he writes, We are saved by grace. We are not saved by the things that we do, how well we obey God, how kind or generous we are. We are saved by God's grace. It's a gift God gives to us. It's a gift we receive in faith. And then verse 10 talks about how we are God's workmanship. We are his craftsmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his creative work. For the works that he has planned for us, the good deeds of love and kindness and generosity that he has planned for us to do in advance. And we're going to continue exploring this question today. We're going to add to this answer. Who do you see when you see yourself? Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks and praise that you are a God whom we can trust. You are a God who is dependable, a God who is faithful God who is faithful to love us and to forgive us and to be with us. Lord, bless us, Lord, as we explore your word, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, to kind of had set the, the, the tone for today's message, we're going to take a look at a movie clip here in just a few moments. The movie is from The Incredibles. Anyone ever watch The Incredibles? Oh, a lot of you are like, it's an awesome movie, you know? 2004, superhero, you know, cartoon uh, movie. And in this movie, kind of the setting is, just in case you haven't seen it for a while, or if you've never seen it, you know, there are a bunch of superheroes. But all these superheroes, when they fight these supervillains, have caused a lot of collateral damage, a lot of property damage. So the city said, that's enough. No more of this superhero stuff. And so now they've all kind of are living a regular life. And so that's where we encounter Bob. Bob, a.k.a. Mr. Incredible superhero. Well, he was. But now he's trapped in this corporate cubicle. He's living this subdued life as a claim adjuster. 
living there, a subdued life in the suburbs with his wife for 15 years, his wife Helen, who, by the way, is the rubber-limbed Elastic girl. And as we take a look at this clip here, you're going to find, you know, that you're going to find him right in this cubicle. You're going to see in him that he's longing for something more. Longing to be what he believes he should be. Let's take a look. You know, as you look at Bob here, a.k.a. Mr. Incredible, you know, he's stuck in this cubicle life. He is not living what he believes he's called to be. Of course, what is he called to be? It's called to be a superhero. And he's sitting there. You can see this sense of somberness, you know, as he's sitting there and his little boss is chewing him out because he's doing what? He's giving out all the secrets of how to get around the insurance company, you know, so that, well, let me give you a little heads up. Before this, he had met with this old lady who was going to be turned down for her, insur- her insurance. But he told her, well, like, we could fill out this form here, then take it up to the next level and see this person here, then take that there, and you'll be able to get your claim. And that's why he's getting chewed out. You know, and, and so you know, he sees his life as something more than just simply sitting in there like a clog in a clock, right? And of course, as he's getting chewed out, he looks out to the left window and he sees a guy getting mugged. And, and he wants to do what? You know, he wants to respond. He wants to be involved. This is, this is what he believes he needs to do. And he, he gets up to go and, and help out, of course. The boss says, look, if you do this, you're going to get, what, fired. And so today, as we ask that question, you know, who do you see when you see yourself? You know, for Bob, a.k.a. Mr. Incredible, who does he see when he sees himself? Well, he doesn't really see himself, though he does, but he doesn't. It's just a claims adjuster sitting there in a cubicle. He sees himself as Mr. Incredible, the one who will step in and help those who are in need. Well, as we explore this today, we're going to take a look at you know, God's Word, and I take a look here at this great Latin word, the Latin words. This word, by the way, can you see the English word in this? Yeah, but you said a vocation. Vocation. This is the Latin word that, you know, where we get our English word vocation. Vocatio. You know, which means calling. Now, often we think of vocation, we think sometimes, like Bob, sitting in a cubicle, Kind of just doing your job. But really, it's a word that means calling. So that, that's a question for us as we think about this today. What is your vocation? What is your calling? A vocation and calling, you know, sometimes we think of vocation as simply a job. You know, we all have kind of different jobs or roles. I mean, some of us right now, our job is being a student. We get to study and have teachers to give us tasks, right? Others of us have jobs that are part-time jobs. You know, others of us have jobs like working at, you know, as a clerk at Walmart or or Hy-Vee. Others of us are teachers, you know, or maybe we are, you know, a computer expert. We're working in IT. Others of us, you know, work, you know, behind the scenes and we work with our hands. All kinds of different jobs you can have. But that question is, what is your calling? What is your vocation? Now, about 500 years ago, the understanding of this term here, the way that it was applied was it was applied to only those who were called. What I mean by those who were called, it was applied only to those who were called by God into what we'd call professional church work, to the priest, to the monks, to the nuns. But about 500 years ago, there was this, you know, German 
pastor, theologian named Martin Luther, and as he challenged the church in the way that it was thinking in a number of areas, he also challenged them in this thinking here. And he talked about calling, that each and every person is called. We are called. We are called. First of all, you know, when we talk about you are called, we are called in God's grace and forgiveness. We are called in our baptism. We are called in faith in God's grace as a child of God. We are called out of the old life that we live. We are called out of darkness and death and sin into this new life in Jesus Christ. We are called out of just a cubicle life to something more. And that's even what we have here as John the Baptist is speaking here. And as we explore, you know, his life. And by the way, as we talk about John the Baptist, you know, we talk about a vocation and calling. John had a calling. Now, his calling is unique because his calling is recorded all the way back to the prophet Isaiah. Because he was to do what? He was to prepare the way for the Lord. I mean, wow, what a calling. He was to point to Jesus. And so there he is now, this guy who eats locusts with wild honey. I don't know if you've ever had locusts before. Would anybody try a locust if we could get some up here in wild honey? Wild honey, but no locusts. I would try. Maybe. I don't know. Anyways, you know, that wore camel hair, you know, so you kind of see this scraggly guy there, and he's out in the desert, in the wilderness, calling people to a life of repentance you know, to change the way they think and act. And as he's doing that, he's calling them out of the life they're living and preparing them to meet Jesus. So later on that, you know, Jesus shows up on the scene because John is baptizing. He is a baptism of repentance. It's a sign, a symbol that they are changing the way they think and act. And Jesus comes and Jesus is baptized, which, by the way, in the church calendar today is the Sunday that we would acknowledge Jesus' baptism that he was baptized as he came to see John, and John said, why should you be baptized? Jesus says, you know, do this, because it connects him with our life and what he's going to do for us, because Jesus has a calling. And what, of course, is his calling? His calling is to live for us and to die for us and to rise for us. And, of course, you know, we have our own baptism that we remember and we celebrate as God calls us in grace. So John is there, and, and, he, and people are coming from all over the area to listen to him, and, and he's talking about the one who was going to come, Jesus. And he's calling the people to repent, to turn their lives around, to change the way they think and act. And then there's a series of three, uh, one question asked three times. First, by the large crowd, and then by two smaller groups. And this is the question. Let's read this question together from Luke 3, 10, 12, and 14. What should we do? What should we do? So here's you know, the context. They're, they're coming here. They, they, they are committing in this baptism. They're like, I'm going to change the way that I think and act. I'm going to get ready for Jesus. And the crowd asks him, what shall we do? And what does he say? Well, first of all, let's be clear that he says, what shall we do? He's not telling them to do something so that they can earn God's love. We'll go back to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Like Paul says, we are saved by grace, not by anything that we do. 
None of the good works, none of the good deeds, no matter how generous, being here this morning, all that does not save us. We are saved by God's grace. So when he answers the question here, he's saying, as a, a sign of your repentance, you know, bear good fruit in your life. You think of Paul's words where Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, you know, that we are to let this fruit, this evidence of Jesus in our lives come through. What should we do? He says, well, I tell you what, if you have two shirts, do what? And you find someone who has no shirt, give them the other shirt. This is, this is like stewardship and generous thinking here. Or if you have food and you find someone who has no food, do what? You share it. I mean, if you're hungry right now and you have food, you share it with me. I'm hungry. And then, you know, the, the question is asked again. Verse 12, this time it's the tax collectors. You know, and I don't know what you think about tax collectors today. You know, it's time to start getting ready for the tax season. You know, if you're an accountant, it's a busy time. CPA, it's a busy time. If you're like a lot of us, it's time to collect all those receipts and make sure you get all your paperwork together and stuff starts coming in the mail. You've got to get ready because it's time for taxes. Even though we don't like paying taxes today, and probably nobody likes necessarily paying their taxes, back in Jesus' day, the tax collectors were not well thought of for two main reasons. First of all, they were employed not by, you know, our government. They were employed by a foreign government. They were employed by the Roman government, an occupying power. So they didn't like that. Secondly, the tax collectors would often do this. The Roman government would say, you need to collect this much tax. And so they would go to each household, and they would collect this much tax. Did you get that? They were supposed to collect this much tax, and they collected this much. So that meant anything here and above was what? It was theirs. They got to pocket it. So they were wealthy at the expense of others, and they had the Roman government soldiers to help them collect that much more. And so he says to the tax collectors, look, you don't have to quit being a tax collector but just change the way you think and act. Change the way you're living your life. Let your, your faith begin to saturate how you live. Let it begin to shape how you live. Just collect what you're told to collect. Basically, take the salary you get from the government and live that life. And the soldiers then ask the same question. What should we do? He just says, stop being a soldier. He says what to them? He says, Stop, you know, threatening people. Stop blackmailing people. Stop, you know, strong-arming those people and collecting more money for them. Be content with the salary that you have. Live your faith in what you do and where you are. And this is kind of what Paul is getting at. Paul writes a little later on in 1 Corinthians 7, 17. You know, and Paul, in writing Corinthians, is in somewhat writing in response to some letters that they had sent him, the early Christian church there in Corinth had sent him. And he writes this about, again, similar to John's words here and what John is saying. Let's read this together. In every church I tell the people, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God had called them. So again, God calls us in His grace to be His very own. God's calling us reminds us again that we are valued by God and that we have a purpose. That God has a plan for us. But as Paul says here, and it's really important for us to kind of capture here, is that we should live as what? A believer. 
as a follower of Jesus in whatever situation we find ourselves. Now, back when Paul wrote these words, back when Martin Luther, you know, began kind of studying and expanding the, the ways we understand vocation, most people grew up and they were what their dad was, their mom was, you know, so if you were a baker, you were a baker like your dad, like your grandfather, like your great-grandfather, and your son, and your son's sons would be what? Bakers. You know, today, that's not necessarily true. I mean, today, we, 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 go, we go to school, we're students for a while, you know, we, we sometimes have part-time jobs, sometimes we have the jobs that we don't want to have, but the job that provides for us, sometimes we have the dream job, sometimes we have, you know, careers that we feel invested in, sometimes we even feel like we're called to those, you know, called to be a nurse or a doctor or a teacher. But whatever it is, whatever we do, Paul says... Do it as a believer. Do it as one who knows you are loved by God. One for whom God has a purpose for you. One for whom God is called from sin and death to life and hope. Paul also writes about this in Colossians 3. Let's read this together. Work wholeheartedly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. So Paul is saying here again that, you know, we, when we work, we work, we do our life as we're working and we're living for Jesus. And when we talk about calling again, I mean, it's easy for us to say, you know, I'm not sure that I feel called. I mean, when I was in high school, I didn't feel called to work at a pizza place. It was just a job. It was a fun job. I came home smelling like pizza late at night. Didn't want to eat pizza a whole lot after that for a while. But it was a job. But now, I mean, now I can definitely say I feel called into what I'm doing. As a pastor, I feel called, and I feel called to be here and serving God's people here and serving the community here. And some of us may say, you know, I do feel called to be a teacher. And some of us say, I feel called to be a teacher even in a Lutheran school. You know, or like my daughter Chelsea, who feels called to serve as a missionary over in the Czech Republic. It's easy in some areas for us to feel called, but the truth is we are all called. But here's what we often do. Anyone ever have one of these? You know what these are? The little cubicle shelves? I've got like five or six of these in my office. I really wanted to bring one and put it right here. And, and, and talk about that right here. But then I started thinking, hmm, what's the possibility of that falling down on me or falling down on Chuck or just falling down, period, and making a mess? So I, I opted not to bring an actual shelf and put it up here. I just thought there was disaster waiting to happen. Finally, I learned. Years ago, I would have just brought it up here. But you know, that the shelf, I want you to think about the shelf like your life. And you say, okay, wait a second here. A little abstract thinking here. This cubicle shelf is like your life. And here's what we often do with our lives. We think about our life. You know, if you have the cubicle, and those cubicles usually have those cloth little bins you can put stuff in. That's why I love them, by the way. I love that I can shove stuff in there, like projects I'm working on. I can put it in there, and my office looks cleaner. Notice I did not say clean. If you've been in my office, it's not often clean. It's just cleaner. So you got these different, you know, cubicles for your life. So maybe you got a cubicle for your job, whether your job is being a student right now, 
you know, or your job is working part-time, or maybe it's the job you have, but it's the job that pays, or it's, it's your career job. You love it. It's the dream that you ever wanted. And then you've got maybe a cubicle space for, you know, being a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, son, or daughter, sister, or brother. You know, those relationships we live in. And then we've got a cubicle space for some of the things that we love to do, you know. I love to run and work out. I love to drink coffee. You know, I love, you know, love sports. Maybe you've got a cubicle then for, well, church, you know, because we're here today. We've got a little cubicle for our church life. And then, you know, we've got a cubicle for... I don't know what else is in our lives. You know, the Huskers, because we're in Nebraska, right? And we got a cubicle for, you know, some other part of our life, our dreams, our hopes. And, and we have all these cubicles filled with all these different parts of our lives. The problem is that's really not how John is describing our life or how Paul is describing our life. This is not how Martin Luther, as he began to expand on God's word, you know, what it means to have a vocation, to have a calling. Because the reality is, you know, our faith is the entire shelf. That entire shelf, that is who we are in Jesus Christ. As those called in baptism and in faith, that is us. So that means that whatever spot is filled, our faith is a part of every cubicle, every little compartment of our life. Our faith is not just, where was that at? I think up here. Our faith is not just at church on Sunday morning. And it's not just the pastor who has this because, well, he's called and he's the pastor. It's every one of us. Our faith is called to be a part of every aspect of our life. And yeah, especially when we talk about work and, and school. So here's some, these are two questions I give to you, and these are reflective questions. I'm not expecting you to answer back, but I just want you to think on this question. How does your work give you a unique vantage point into the brokenness of the world. How does your work give you a unique vantage point into the brokenness of the world? Let me ask you a follow-up question with this. Is there anyone that, that works and lives, goes to school, you know, in places that are not broken by sin? Good. No one put their hand up. Because you know what? Every aspect, every corner of the world is broken by sin. So, you know, wherever we are at, whatever little compartment we have, you know, sin is a part of all of it. There, there is brokenness. But especially where we work, where we go to school, where we live, our relationships that we have, you know, gives us a unique vantage point to that particular brokenness. All right, our next reflective question. How does your work function as an opportunity to love and serve others? See, that's, that's what John is driving at. You know, whether it's the group at large, you know, sharing your shirt, whether you're sharing your lunch, whether you're a tax collector and you're just being fair, whether you're a soldier and you're no longer threatening and blackmailing people, whether you're a teacher, whether you're working in a cubicle as a claims adjuster, whether you are, you know, a pastor or a missionary, whether you are retired, wherever we are at, we have the unique opportunity to love and serve others. Because remember, again, when you see yourselves, who do you see? You see someone who God says is what? Important. You are someone that God sees and says, you have a purpose. And you are someone that God says, you are called. You are called by name in grace. You are called to love and serve. Not love and serve God, because God doesn't need 
our service. He doesn't need our good works. Martin Luther says, you know, it's our neighbor. Scripture tells us it's our neighbor who needs our good works. As we live out the love that we have from God, we share that love with all of those that we encounter each and every day. So here's a challenge question as we head into this new week. How will you live your calling this week? How will you live as one called by God's grace? How will you live as one loved by the God of the universe? How will you love and serve your neighbor, whether you encounter that neighbor at school, at work, across the street, wherever you are at? How you live the love that God has for you? Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks and praise that you call us by your grace. We give you thanks and praise that in you, in your grace, we have a purpose. We give you thanks and praise that you value us so much, even though, Lord, as a whole humanity, we rebel against you. Lord, even individually, in our own lives, we rebel against you. Yet you valued us so much that you sent your son Jesus to live to suffer and die, and to rise again for us. Lord, let us hear the words that John spoke to those people so long ago, the words that Paul spoke so long ago, to speak into our lives. That in every compartment of our life, every little cubicle of our life, you are a part of that. And that we live to love you, and to live in that love by loving and serving others. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. For more information about Holy Savior, including service times and location, please visit holysavior.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God bless.